Bit of a delay, sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> I pressed the green button. We should have you should have literally several seconds of me uh, being confused. Hello everyone, good evening. Um Hi. It's a rail natter, it's another solo one. Uh how are you all doing? What, t t tell me, tell me things. There's um I mean, as ever, I'm, I was having panics of like, oh my goodness, I have nothing to talk about this episode. Actually, this is going to be, it's going to end up going long. It's going to be a disaster. I'm, I'm going to have to hammer through it. If, to be honest, if we don't get through the first half, I might split it into two halves and we can come back to the second bit. Um, <laughs> oh, that's not, that's not faff. And without further ado, let's put up the, the coronavirus transport statistics. Let's have a look. So, oh my goodness. Oh. The trends. Oh, let's have a look. Let's. So, not really much to report. Um, you can see here if I if I press buttons, uh, if I go down here, you can see that rail is is flatlining. Um, it's uh, it's sort of flatlining about the between sixty and sixty five percent. So let me scribble that down. Yeah, between the sixty and sixty five percent mark, um, which is. Uh, obviously not ideal, but now as we were kind of talking about, um, as we were kind of talking about last last week, to an extent, I well, let's let okay, let's part that for now and have a look at the the overall trend. So we can see that road vehicles, they're just they're just everything's normal, back to normal. Uh, cycling, pretty much the same story. Um, bus services are, are floating around the uh, the the eighty percent mark. Eighty percent. Um, yeah, I, I'm interested to know again about about bus services. Oh, hi Simon. How did your presentation go? I hope it was good. Um, YRP presentation earlier. I think it was YRP. Um, yeah. So that's so that's, that's that's buses I, again. I, yeah. What 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 level of are, are services limited? And then rail, 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 rail. So that there's rail. We're still above our 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 kind of danger zone trend line that we're following. That we we want to ideally keep above that until the end of the year. Um. But 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 but. Hmm. And I, it comes back to the question we asked last week, right? Which is what percentage of pre-COVID timetable is being run? You know how many. How many uh, how many services are being are we running short uh, at the moment or not running at all? Uh, so I've FOI'd it. Um, we will see what comes back. I've um, yeah I've bumped in a, a freedom of information request and we'll see what the DFT comes back with if anything at all. I shall report back when they report back and I might well write it up for rail or something because it's interesting to compare. If they give me st statistics over time, that'd be really interesting because it will allow us to compare. We could almost normalize the the numbers. Discussion to be had on that, I think. But anyway, um, uh, is it journeys or passenger miles? Uh, kind of what what this before? Uh, this is just uh, ri daily ridership uh, as a relative percentage compared to the equivalent pre-COVID date. Uh, that's that's essentially the numbers coming through, Gregors. Um, yeah. So that the news as a result uh, relevant to this. Um, vigorous thanks to Steve Chambers, Respros on um, uh, Twitter, uh, who is is kind of keeping an eye on the overall. Actually, it's not so much the the, the limitations on the on, on the services, you know, as a result of COVID. Services are being actively cut with the intention of keeping them that way, with absolutely no input from local people whatsoever. It is absolutely abysmal. We need to very much stop this. It's, it's cuts behind the scenes to justify ideology. 
Um, and this is very, very dangerous. And we need to everyone needs to make a very loud song and dance about it. So, uh, yeah, Steve, thanks. Thanks for thanks for, for the uh, fight, the good fight on that one. On a different subject. I mean, this is a I don't want to. This is a very somber uh, subject, really, because it's the grim realities of um, of the of the railway network and how slavery impacted on its development. And. You might remember I wrote a piece about this, which made some people, not a lot of people, the majority of people were fascinated and interested in it and, 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 and agreed that more work needed to be done. Some people became very irate and angry and defensive. Um, and indeed, some people said that I had no business writing about history because I didn't know what I was talking about. I had no business talking about this subject at all. Uh, all sorts of rubbish. And they're all um, morons because uh, I've been entirely vindicated by the fact that this has now justified a substantial academic project to be funded and initiated between several museum uh, several universities and the national rail museum so they are looking at this they're going to be looking at uh, a, a wide range of the, the remit's pretty wide there's a lot of things they're going to be looking at because frankly slavery has had a huge impact on industrial that so really it's, it's called slavery and steam so they've, they've broadened it out to, to not just railways but some other stuff associated with steam power but it will be focusing on railways and, and for example dr dt dr david turner is is going to be looking at pro possibly the well certainly i would suggest probably the most impactful element from a british railway history perspective which is um uh related to the business history so from between the in the very early development of the railways so up to kind of the just post mania i think it's 1800 to 1865 is looking at which is considered the early railway period but it, it's sort of the, the the pre to post railway mania period um and I, having having sampled some of the work that's been done by David and by others, uh, this is going to fundamentally change how we view the development of railways in Britain. There's no exaggeration to say that. So I'm very excited. It's just interesting. If you put to one side the the grim uh, kind of realities of it and and, and what it said, the fact that it hasn't been explored by historians up till now is pretty indicative. That that the fact that people get are saying that it's there's nothing that it shouldn't be looked at, you know, despite them obsessing over nuts and bolts and rivets on trains you know uninteresting trains of which there are four of in history you know if you think that anything any particular element of history is is or, or railways or trains is interesting to look at then that you need to have a look in yourself if you don't think this is also relevant and interesting to look at because it is absolutely fascinating and it's history we're we're ignoring a fascinating if if unpleasant element of history um so excited about that very excited about that uh, I mean, it's a research project. Uh, Matt Reed asks uh, how the, the research will be published. Uh, over a very long period of time and with a lot of hard graft, academic research is not a fast thing, but it's it's happening. It's, you know, this is research that's happening. This is academics, uh, cu you know, curators, uh, people collaborating to, 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 look at the, um, to look at history, to look at the details. It's very good. So um, Barry Jones is saying follow the money. Actually, follow the managers is potentially a more poignant and relevant thing to do um more on that later everyone anyway right so uh, i'll be keeping an eye on that uh, via the so if there is an update i'll be using the hashtag and i encourage anyone who's actually listening to this and is in the project please also use the hashtag railways and slavery to just keep on top of it i know the project is slavery and steam but i'm going to be calling i'm going to be keeping on top of it with railways and slavery um uh so uh here we are buffer stops didn't yeah um yeah, the um, the, the the buffer stops uh, at uh, Enfield Town 
were completely useless and they got shunted. We'll find out more about this. The RAIB have been down there. But uh, yeah, in this instance, you can see the, the buffer stops are pretty much entirely intact in one solid piece here. Um, fixed buffer stops are bad, folks. Uh, they're, they're absolutely fine for depots. They're fine for freight sidings. They're fine for all sorts of stuff. Um, what they are not fine for is the termination of passenger running lines. And you can see here, there's also people are asking about this. This is a wheel without a disc brake. This is a wheel with a disc brake. This is fine. This is how these flex eco bogies are designed. Don't worry about it. Um, the uh, yeah. So this thing uh, shunted into the into the buffer stop. The buffer stop stayed in one piece and therefore created a launch pad to actually lift the vehicle upwards and project it. Uh, towards, thankfully not into, but towards the uh, passenger space. I think there's a cafe up here. Um, this is bad, folks. We're going to talk about buffer stops in a future episode, so I'm not going to say much more about this, other than I would not like... Uh, you know, this is a failure. People are saying, oh, but they've stopped the train. No, no. Luckily, this train has stopped, but those buffers played no part in that process. The thing that played a part in that process is... Um, is well, what those buffered stops did do is convert a load of horizontal energy that would have otherwise been stopped by this concrete uh, kind of uh, wall here, which would, which will be designed to stop the front of a train. Uh, what they've actually done is uh, make it shoot it upwards so that it's missed that and gone towards something that would provide absolutely no uh, resistance whatsoever and might have resulted in a lot of more nasty things happening had this train gone straight through that window. So no, those buffer stops have failed catastrophically. Uh, and hopefully, I hope, uh, I'm interested to go and have a, let's see what's there, there now. I hope they have not replaced them like for like. But um, they need to, particularly as it, there's potentially enough platform length for it, they need to put sliding buffer stop, friction buffer stops in. Anyway, more about buffer stops later. But these are the buffer stops that were there now. Um, send me pictures, if you're out and about, send me pictures of um, where you spot these buffer stops around. Um in passenger service so there'll be loads of sidings forget those these are fabricated uh, buffer stops made from old bullhead rail with a lump of timber on the front everything is wrong with them and um, we'll talk about that in a buffer stops episode in a few weeks because uh, i think it'd be quite interesting to, to talk about buffer stops because uh yeah you know rail now anyway um ah yes people have already alluded to it graham you mentioned this already uh electric rail freight off the rails yes um the the rail freight operators have been forced as john stone pointed out john stone's exclusive in fact uh, they've been forced to dump electric trains for diesel due to the energy crisis and due to well it's less about the energy crisis although that's the root the kind of the um initiating cause the root cause is dreadful transport policy and zero uh, leadership on um on driving modal shift from uh, government so um Yes, not uh, not great. Uh, read that piece for more details, but it's to do with uh, track access charges and a few other things. Really, not a great not a great situation. Now, uh, what I'm going to do is, uh, yeah, we're talking about freight. So you know, we've we just talked about freight. Uh, I'm sorry. And so um, we're going to talk from 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 things getting in the way of sustainable rail freight to things uh, improving the situation for rail freight because it's high time we got cracking. I'm already 12 minutes in. Um, everyone. Welcome to tonight's Rail Natter. And as the InterCity 225 fades away... Oh, I'm just going to dwell on that for a moment. Very nice. 
we're actually going to go back to remind ourselves that we've already had an episode on gauging, which was pretty much exactly a year ago. It was a very important episode, uh, and it's the only episode which I've had. Uh, thank you very much indeed to Doug, who actually transcribed it so that it has proper captions, accurate captions. Um, I would love to have more than the auto captions on every episode, and indeed, I'd love. Uh, some people have talked about it being live captioned. That requires someone to sit and caption it, and I, I just don't have the financial resources to be able to do that. Um, so. I think it, it's not unreasonable for it to be the case that when it, that the auto captions come up afterwards, and the auto captions, I do check the auto captions, and they are not bad at all. Actually, I think from context where they do get it wrong, people can fill in the gaps. So, I'm all right with the um, I'm all right with the auto captions. Um, I mean, if you think it's not good enough, do shout at me and tell me it's not good enough. I, you know, I, I'm always open to uh, suggestions and advice. Anyway, so uh, if you want to know more about gauging, we we talked a little bit about gauging and that. So feel free to go back, watch that episode, refresh your memory. It's well worth watching. Um. But first of all, really, we need to talk about what is gauging. So we did touch on this episode, this this in that episode, but we didn't really fully round out the answer. So what is gauging? And I'm going to be I'm stealing some of my lecture slides from my old lecture course uh, here uh, in a minute. So you'll 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 spot those because they've got the old National National Rail College lo logo in the corner. Um, gauging. Well, if you remember last time, we went through four different types of gauging. We've got. Um, uh, oh yeah, you want my face up in the top corner. Hello, I'm in the top corner. Hi. Yes, thanks Mike for reminding me. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Um, yes, I'm here. Oh, David Bumstead uh, asks, is just a wooden block fixed to the masonry at the end of the platform better or worse than, than rail-built fabricated stops? Uh, arguably, in that situation, yeah, I would say... Um, the, the, just having wooden chocks on the wall is probably better. The, the issue... Um, is the, the the issue is that the the buffer stops fixed buffer stops like that essentially act as a signaling feature. Um, uh, yeah, so so there, there are reasons why you do have a thing there, but it, to be honest, it should just be a, re a stick with a red light on the top. Uh, anyway, anyway, right, yes. Uh, oh, the bingo's not working still, isn't it? I need to fix the bingo. Anyway, right, enough of that. So four types of gauging. I need to hammer through this. This is this is quick, easy stuff. Right. So structure clearances, passing clearances. Stepping clearances and electrical clearances. These are the four different types of thing that we need to analyze. Oh, my face is in front of the word clearance for passing clearances. You'll, you'll get over it. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about... Okay, all four of these kind of broadly fit into this form of analysis we're talking about. But we're going to talk about what gauging is. The process of gauging, or uh, to broaden it out, gauge clearance analysis. Just notice this picture comes up a lot because this is like the picture about gauge clearance. But there's, there's like a TFL license document sort of pinned to this location case here that's um look, license in uh, it says license there in like tfl in johnson very nice anyway right so here we go uh yes the standard picture of you know gauging but uh, the, the things the things that we need to know are basically in order to do gauging we need th three things we need to do right we need to work out how big our train is uh, we need to work out how big the hole we want the train to fit in is uh, and also then we need to compare the two it's simple as that it's a comparison of you have a sausage that is the maximum shape and size that the train might fill at any given moment. You have another sausage shape that is long and thin. Uh, how, you know, the, the, the maximum or rather the, the minimum space that, that, that is available to that train. And the, so the maximum size of the train space and the minimum size of the infrastructure space cannot overlap. If they do, uh, you will make smashy happen. Uh, in other words, so you have to deal with vehicle envelopes, infrastructure surveying and gauging analysis then to compare the two and we're going to go through all these in some time uh we are getting some questions um 
Gareth Williams is saying professional delivery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Matt Reed's asking, can a gauge be too big? Uh, hopefully we'll get... We'll, we'll, we might answer that question through this one. Uh, oh, Sakura's saying rail gauge versus track gauge needs a mention here. Yeah, I should have put that in. Um, everyone, everyone, we're talking about loading gauge here. Nothing, zero to do with track gauge. Uh, d d this is this is loading gauge here. There's, there's loading gauge. There are the space we have around the, the train to fit the train within. There are, there's loading gauge, lovely. This here, this dimension here, from here to here, this is track gauge. And these two, the, these these are unrelated. They're not, they're, they're unrelated. They're, they're, don't get confused, don't confuse them. They are unrelated. Thanks, yep, worth highlighting that. Anyway, right, let's crack on. Um, Stevie and Selby are saying, are you saying that make smashy happen is bad? Can confirm, yes. Um, Oh, Joseph June, not going to lie, I thought bigger meant longer. Yeah, there's not an easy way to say wider, because I don't mean wider. Fatter is a bit not very nice to say. Uh, so bigger is literally what I mean. Anyway, we're going to start talking about vehicle envelopes. Here's a nice picture of um, of the of the tunnel, Beauchamp Tunnel on the Borders Railway, showing just how tight that tunnel is. And indeed, a challenge that any that anyone reopening as a freight line will, um, will compare. So, um, here we go. So vehicle envelopes. Anyway, right. So if you remember from last time, we went through some things. So we were comparing. So we, we looked at um, when we we're talking about vehicle. We're going to go through this quickly because we did it. So stack profile, vehicle tolerances. So, so the stack profile of the train. I don't know why it's switching stuff on and off when I go back and forth. It's a bit weird. And um, we ha sorry, we have the stack profile of the train. So that's it's sat stationary. You measure that vehicle tolerances, all the different things that can do to mean that it's slightly bigger, you know, panel panel fitting and all these things and, and that, that make it slightly larger um also things like things like um uh wheel wear and stuff like that then you've got the dynamic movement so the way that it sways as it goes around curves and then you've got curve overthrow so that's the way that the vehicle in plan actually because of the rotation of bogies either side of the vehicle the, the way that it goes and we go into this in the in the previous episode that previous episode about um level boarding so I, i'm not going to go into details but basically that ends up giving you what we call the kinematic envelope and the way that we generate that is via um, a variety of things. So a mixture of drawings. So we've got this. There's, there's a nice picture of... Um, actually, I don't know. What, is this is this from 1996? Is this like a, a, a Class 319 or something? In any case, it's uh, it's very, it looks very Mark 3-ish. But it's the uh, there's possibly a vehicle name somewhere. Anyway, basically, these are drawings. They're old BR codes that... Um, Actually, it's BR five hundred one, isn't it? It's the old way that um, that this was calculated, right? Um, nowadays, though, we don't use the old calcs like this, old-fashioned calcs that were done by Darbados. No, we use um, dynamic uh, simulation modeling. So we we, we use uh, a tool. So we actually use simulations to actually model the behavior of the train. Um, dynamic simulation. Uh, and Vampire continues to be probably the most effective software package in the world, developed by British Rail, uh, by British Rail Research, and it's still used. I, I use the data for this. I'm doing a light rapid transport project in Canada at the moment, and we're using this data right now from Vampire, or we're using Vampire as an analysis tool. Actually, we're not using Simpack, but um, the preference would have been to use Vampire. Simpack's another model that does the same thing. Anyway, here is some, a picture of Vampire from probably goodness knows how many years ago, this picture. Uh, thanks, Alan Minnis, for this screenshot, which I've stolen off you um, unknowingly. So, so, uh, David Shepard is asking, and this is a relevant... Oh, Matt Reed, don't mean to nag. Can you describe more for the audio peeps? Oh, golly. Uh, yeah, yes. Thank you, Matt. Yes, good point. 
Um, someone just asked about can longer train carriages affect loading gauge a lot? Yeah, that is what this curve overthrow bit comes from. So if you have a longer coach between bogey centers, so imagine you've got your coach. You remember this? We go through it. I don't want to dwell on it because we've gone through it before. But if you've got a here's here's the the bogey pivot, and then you obviously you've got the the bogies here, uh, and likewise, and you've got the the pivot here. You've got this distance. If as as this distance increases, so if you end up with a longer coach, uh, there we are. Uh, with the bogies and the and the, likewise at the other end there's the bogies, um, you end up as that dimension increases, so increases by however, however much uh, this this bit, that means that you will increase, so you'll increase the um, the curve overthrow because you'll get more center throw, uh, as if, if you've got curved track like this, you end up with more. Um, actually, I did I did my curve the wrong way. You'll end up with more vehicles. Yeah, that is right. Actually, you'll end up with more um, sort of center throw, which would it have the effect of essentially making this bit uh, have the effect of making this bit wider, wider, and, and wider on this side too. Um, so yes, good question. Um, yes, but we'll, we'll, we're, we're going to we're not going to dwell on that because we talked a bit about that. We're now going to jump. So that's that's done. That's the vehicle. So that's how we get our answer for how big our, our train shape is. So we're now going to talk about infrastructure surveying. Because how do you work out? So that's working out the train sausage. Now we need to work out the infrastructure sausage. Why did that? F oh, no, these slides are all going to be fady. Wait a minute. Let me get rid of fady on these slides because uh, I hate fady. Fady is going to be irritating. Uh, right. Let me just do this. This magic. I can do this right now. Watch. 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 There we are. Let me do this straight through here. Uh, it's all the ones I've copied. There we are. Uh, transitions. None. There we are. Problem solved. That was easy. Right. So. Um, describing bogey overthrow for audio piece by drawing the screen. It's very difficult to describe. These, this is very difficult to explain these visually, uh, not visually, but I, I, I shall describe as best I can. So here we go. So these are our, these are our um, two kinematic envelopes. Here we've got these two nice pink ones. So, you know, we've got, we can calculate passing between them quite easily. So that's good. So we can calculate passing, which is this space between those two kinematic envelopes of the vehicles. Um, you can see there are a nice bit of canted track here. There's, there's the rails here and these these big box shapes. Uh, these look like W12 to me. Anyway, um, but to measure, so we want to be able to measure what space there is to run these things through. So, for example, like, you know, here's a, a classic sort of arched overbridge. Uh, here you can see the nice arch shape. And this this just, just about fit, fits. But how much space have we got up here? How much space have we got here? How much space we've got here and here, and also another thing is, of course, then you you've got to work out well how much space have you got up here for uh, electrification as well. So things like that. But also, it's not just structures up top. There's things like signs and platforms and all sorts of and and like people who put multi-aspect route indicators on big boxes down here that make a right old hash of the gauge clearance. This this nonsense. All this stuff we've got to try and dodge as well. So we need to go out and work out what that, what, uh, yeah, kind of what shape that stuff is and how it might impact on stuff traveling. And um, oh, uh, right, okay. So here is a here is a little graphic uh, on screen. Good God, this is going to be a nightmare to explain. Um, so uh, on the on the y-axis, we've got the increasing cost per kilometer of a variety of, of different sort of uh, survey tools that we can use. You know equipment that we can use to, to measure the infrastructure uh, and along the y-axis uh, sorry the x-axis along here we've got um increasing accuracy so as you can see that you've got uh, so down here the lowest accuracy is 500 millimeters and then as you get to real super high accuracy you've got five millimeters or even better um so that's how accurate how accurately your s survey tool is, is suggesting that thing is in space um 
and so if you like we've got so so we've got sort of you know down at the the non-accurate in fact let's 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 bunch these up let's categorize these in the different ways we use them so for like early feasibility we've got some options here so we've got for example we've got video surveying or aerial point clouds so that's the stuff that sean lee gets up from the helicopter aerial point actually his stuff's getting more accurate so uh this probably needs to move up but anyway at the moment it's still around the 500 to 200 millimeter feasibility kind of level of detail so you get a bit more detailed for think you can so you can use those for feasibility as you get more detailed more accurate and um, you end up with things like um train mounted laser gauges you know single pass uh they're, they're pretty accurate pole and tape is a, a very old-fashioned method of doing gauging you literally use a pole and a tape um uavs you know drones the drone surveys they're not hugely accurate they're pretty expensive and then non-rail mounted laser scanners so so sort of scanners that are trackside um or, or sort of you know used for kind of stationary surveying these can all provide sort of varying levels of accuracy but they're good enough for things like inspection and maintenance you know um uh, particularly if you've got repeat readings that allows you to compare over time that allows you to look at kind of inspecting and maintaining uh, the track but if you want to design something if you want to design an improvement you need much more accuracy than that so you need to get down to the 10 to 5 millimeter range and so you're looking at things like uh, rail mounted mechanical gauges like platform gauges that slice your fingers off and are an absolute nightmare you've got rail mounted laser gauges that are um uh, getting better some of them are still pretty clunky but they're you know they're good stuff both abtus and balfour beatty have a have pretty common uh products in the in those and then you've got train mounted laser gauges that you do a multiple pass with so ryla 360 is a, a good example of that so those are your, your kind of your, your bucketed three different systems and so that's one way of categorizing them is by well one way is cost another way is accuracy another way is what you might use them for but there are other ways to categorize, and we're going to look at this using some examples of some stuff. So down at the bottom here, I've got a little diagram. And on this, so we've got a little sign, we've got a, a bridge, and we've got an underbridge, say, here, and then we've got an overbridge, underbridge, under the railway, overbridge, over the railway. You can see we've got an overbridge there. Now, different ways, uh, different methods, different types of survey tools. So, for example, we have a discrete uh, surveying. So that creates single cross-sections that are measured at chosen intervals. So, for example... You know, here we are, we've got, you can see there's the nice lines being drawn. Tell these are my lecture slides, by the way. Look, RIP, the National High Speed Rail College. Um, so you can see, so we've, we go out, we've got a wheelie, do, wheelie gig, and we, we measure one here. We think, okay, we're going to measure off the sign. We go, all oh, right, every five meters, we're going to measure, we're going to measure through this bridge. One, two, three, four, five, lovely, six. Uh, and then also, we're going to go through this skewed overbridge, and we're going to go one, two, three, four, five, six, lovely. We've picked those up, walk away, happy days. There's another type. So that's discrete. Um, there's another type called continuous. Now, continuous is where you create cross-sections uh, at high frequency from a moving system like a train. So the thing comes through and it measures that distance and you end up with a continuous series of... You basically get a continuous measurement right the way through lots and lots of data. Um, and then you get what are called composite um, sections. So you, you pass through with the thing and then what you do is then you create a load of five meter segments. So every five meters, it picks a minimum. Now, there are advantages to this. And, and th those advantages come particularly for things like skewed bridges like this, because the parallel, if you imagine you've got, say you've got your tracks coming through here, and then you've got like a, some form of like abutment or, or pier of, of a structure. And you uh, and say, in fact, that, that was a bad example. Let's say you've got like the, the track here and you've got like the, the bridge going over like this, but the pier is not is not actually parallel. So it's closer here and here, say, than it is uh, here and here. 
And that means that actually if you're picking, if you're putting a, a device on the track and measuring, you might not be actually picking the worst case location. So the advantage of composite is that it will always pick the worst case. So for every one of these little five meter segments, so if I clear this and remind you how that forms, as it goes through, it then creates five meter segments that show the minimum that, that give the minimum kind of the, the worst case clearance per five meters, if you like. And actually, um, composite is very good as a result of that. Uh, we like composite. I like composite. Discrete is good for design where you've got to pick up a specific point, but composite is actually very good. And indeed, uh, decent national gauging database data is good enough for design. The only challenge is locating it on the track, but actually I'd argue you should be designing to the minimum for a given five meter. So it's a bit of a discussion to be had there, but You've no idea what I'm talking about because I've not explained any of what I've just said. But I'm going to describe it now by putting up a picture of the SGT. This is the old. This is actually the old. This this, this one is the old one. This this is like the old optical one. Uh, this is a structure gauging train. Have I got a picture of the new one? Yeah, I do. Good. This is the old optical structure gauging train. Uh, you might see it flinging around. It's it's nice and black to to avoid sort of the reflecty stuff. This is what it used to look like, as you can see. So this this is a composite system. Uh, repeatedly operates around the whole railway network, provides a good balance of accuracy and cost. Um, network Rail, fund your SGT team better, please. The National Gauging Database team is hugely under-resourced, and they have a 10-year backlog of data that needs to be updated with a huge amount that is just not finding its way into the National Gauging Database. Network Rail, please, can you recruit and fund that team better? Thank you. Um, it's brilliant. The team who work on this are brilliant. This is an inc this is possibly one of Network Rail's most... The data that comes out of this goes into a thing called the National Gauging Database, which is possibly one of Network Rail's, certainly top 10, one of its finest databases, finest data sets. Honestly, incredibly powerful. And we do, we do a bare fraction of the analysis with that data set that we could if it was... Um, more easily accessible, but also if it was better kept up to date. The train runs around. The fact is that the that it has not the data from the train hasn't been getting uploaded into the National Gauging Database. Here's what the the new one looks like. So you can see in here is a little bucket, uh, little bin lid type thing that spins around very, very, very fast and does many passes a second. Um, and as a result of this, uh, you get really nice, accurate uh, minimum clearances to things. And the data is very good. It really is a very powerful data set that is much maligned and is not um, uh, is not utilized well enough by enough people uh, by enough people, and is certainly not supported well enough centrally. I don't think enough people know it exists and how brilliant it is. Um, another tool. So here is Ryla three hundred and sixty. There it is Ryla uh, continuous measurement split into cross sections as required by the project. This is continuous, but it's very expensive to use for just gauging. So it's normally done as part of like a large infrastructure project, like a a big, a big sort of uh, like TRU for example, transparent route upgrade uh, has run Ryla three hundred and sixty a lot, and they are uh, you know they in fact you can see the little blue laser down here. There it is. You can see it. Uh, this one, in fact, is scanning the the railhead, which is how it uses. The, that's how it does the survey to give you the the rail strings. Um, what else? I'm hopelessly behind already. Uh, oh, and, and indeed, here's Ryla uh, running through. Um, it is a sort of lidar, yes, folks. Uh, Ryla is a type of lidar, yeah. Um, and here is uh, yeah, here's York Station. You recognise the uh, there's the clock. There's there's York Station clock, very nice, and the footbridge, and the 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 OLE. There's the contact wires and. In fact, what's funny is you can see where the contact wire is sort of hidden a bit, just a very thin sliver, which kind of means you can probably project into where, presume the, the Ryla thing's happening from here, because this is where these funny lines project out from. Anyway, uh, and there's the Costa. Uh, very nice. There it is. So it's quite, it's quite good, you know. Uh, it gives you a decent shape. Now, these things, very popular um, for all sorts of reasons, mostly because people think they look snazzy. But as uh, I've, this is a very good, so this is the Vogel R3D, which is remarkably accurate and very good for track survey where you've got, I haven't got too much in the way above the track. 
Um, but for gauging, these are mostly useless because a lot of stuff that you're having to gauge against is it needs to be relative to the rail position and also um, is often a thing that needs to be measured above from underneath, which you can't do with a drone. I don't know how well they fly upside down. Um, and they're also very expensive. It's getting better, but I've just had a drone survey from a different provider that doesn't use the Vogel R3D and it's a real mess, I have to be honest. So, I mean, basically useless for design. So there's still a bit of misunderstanding about UAVs and how valuable they are. Um, so, now Owen O'Neill is asking why the gauging train is separate, that the SGT is separate from the normal measurement train. Um, well, there are lots of different trains and they do all sorts of different things and it would make it very difficult for them to program all of these to, to plan where they all go if they were all in one train. There, There's not just one or two yellow trains. There are like, like there's like about, it's like a dozen of them all flying around doing different things. They swap coaches out. So it's more complex than it's just, you know, they, they run and do different things. So... Um, Graham House is saying it surprises you that uh, UAVs have highest cost for gauging they do for general survey maybe less so so compared to so there are benefits for, for UAV uh, for just doing track survey uh, over you know traditional trolley or, or whatever um, in fact one of these things is a is a sidetrack uh, like a trolley uh, there are there's a tra track trolley it's a it's a this I do so I don't have to describe UAVs you know everyone knows what a drone looks like uh, but this thing is a uh Oh, my, my face is in front of the text, but it, this is this is the side rail scan, right? Uh, other tools are available. Abtus do some good ones as well, for example. Basically, it's like a, it looks like a, it's got like a bicycle handlebars with a yellow bar that sits on the track on little trolley wheels that are actually remarkably accurate. It's a very frosty day here. You can see them pushing the train around. Um, also, it's somewhere that needs to not be noisy because it's also got lots of um, it's got pandrel sort of uh, noise dampening things local angry nimbies or some important structure somewhere i don't know uh, and g44s anyway i digress horribly um and you just push it around and it, you push it around and it, it accurately measures the rail position and it also does a lidar scan so you can see this the the total station spinning lidar scanner on top that does the scanners um do they fly uavs in tunnels i think they do actually yeah but generally you'd use this rather than a uav actually i don't know but they use this rather than a uav because it's the accuracy of this is very good because it's rail mounted and then this thing this is the old uh Aptus root scan, which is, um, I have to be honest, my preference in, in rail-mounted scanner, but uh, Balfour's do their one as well, the, the uh, laser, the, what is it? I can't even remember what it's called. This is the root scan. What is the Balfour Beatties one called? Anyway, um, this is the, the laser scan rail, oh, I can't even remember, it's blue anyway. Um, it's the one we have in the office, I just can't remember the name of it. In any case, um, yeah, this does discrete measurements. So the, the previous one, sorry, was was uh, was continuous again. Uh, this is discrete. So I, you know, if I'm pushing it along, this one's on wheels. If I push it along, I'm deciding where I'm putting it, which means it, it's kind of flexible, easy to use, but there's a risk that I might miss the worst case uh, point. And this, the, no, pay attention to this structure because we're going to be coming back here soon. Uh, and also, you get things like this is the bounce platform gauge. These are these are like mechanical devices for measuring gauge. This thing is. A, an excellent way to do a murder on parts of your body. Uh, for example, your fingers. Uh, it's a disaster. If you can avoid using it, I'd recommend it. And in fact, these things, the, the Aptus root scan and the, the laser scanner, uh, the, the clue doodad, uh, they come with a little widget that you can fit on the platform that does platform gauging now. And also with that, it allows you, with the, the scanner, it means that you've got the platform widget that sits on the edge of the, on the platform edge, gives you the platform position. But also then with the scanner, you can then plot in what the shape of the platform is, which is important when you're trying to work out whether whether uh, uh, you know you can that's that's a head that's someone's head there the hair 
That's their feet. That's their feet. And they're lying on their side in the platform recess, which is an assessment you have to do when you're doing platform alteration work. So, um, yeah, that's there we are. It's uh, not particularly useful. I think they should all be scrapped. Get rid of them all. Waste of time. So, we've got our stuff. We've put our little device on the track. And this is how it works. This is how you get a profile. It measures uh, distances. Lots of distances. And from those distances, it creates a... You, you get a profile, so if you, you so so from that distance, you imagine you, you've got this, and basically you can go, well, that's about where it is, uh, there, and that's where it is, and you draw, there you go, and you get a, you get a, well, you get, basically they output SCM files, which you input to clear it, but basically they give you a, a, a cross-section of the space that you've got to run your trains within. Uh, do it, do it from the other track, but I don't know why I did this graphic, because this kind of isn't how they work, but anyway, if you overlay the two, um, that you don't overlay the two. You only ever do it from one track. But I, I just, I suppose, I do this because it looks visually nice. But anyway, yeah, there you go. And then you can draw your outline, and then from that outline, then you, it vaguely shows you what's going on. You can see it sort of, you can see roughly the sign was there, and and you know that the bridge was here, grand. Um, and if you then put your two, um, your two train sausages in, you have then got your, you've got your infrastructure sausage, you've got your train sausage, and you can compare the two. Uh, and bearing, depending on oh, what what what's this Al store what what's what what are people seeing? Uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. What the gauges is he attached to the platform face with green and red sliders? They're um, datum plates. Uh, with I've done a railways explained thread on search for railways explained, and you can and uh, on Twitter, and, and I've done several threads on them. Um, so depending on what device you've used, you get a certain level of accuracy. So it's not just an infinitely thin line. There's thickness. So if you've got like a, if you've got a really good accuracy, then you, you essentially you get a thin line. If you've got quite a chunky sort of um, you know a, a not hugely accurate device, like a, you know like something rubbish or your pole and tape or something. Um, and actually, you measure not, you don't measure to the uh, the thin, you know, you don't measure to the infinite point. You measure to the the kind of the outside of the bubble that those. So if, if you imagine you've got one surveyed point, if you like, uh, there's a there's a kind of an accuracy bubble around it. So if your if your system is like, um, if you've got say 15 mil accuracy, then it means that you've got uh, you've got a diameter of 15 millimeters, if you like, all around each point, which means you kind of get this like bubbly sausage line. Um, and it's to that the edge of that line that you then measure the distance to to give you your clearance to the train. Happy days, and that's what you determine clearance with. And that and so if you've got a more accurate, um, a less less or more accurate thing, you know the the more accurate a tool you use, actually you're gaining clearance for trains by using a more accurate tool. So there are advantages to doing such things. Um, and at that point, then you do the clearance analysis. Infrastructure. So, no, I didn't change. Wait a minute. Nailed it. Watch this. I can uh, promove this. Uh, 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 uh. Uh, in fact, let's let's write. Let's call it gauge clearance analysis. Happy days there. So, uh, gauge clearance analysis as 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 no problems at all. It's fine. We'll f we'll fix it in the edit. It's fine. Um, and uh, so here we go. Here's here's our rails. Here's our infrastructure. There are our trains. Um, and we need to compare them. And so there are different ways to actually then make that comparison between the two um, the two things. Um, the th what's the, the word I'm looking for is tolerances. Yeah, but I didn't want to use the word tolerances because it's a bit jargony, hence why I avoided saying the word tolerances. Um, so comparative gauging. This is where, oh, I don't know, these, these are my lecture slides. I put less text on my current lecture slides. These I made these lecture slides in like, when would it have been? Like 2017? Yeah, a long time ago. Uh, so you've got the new, so basically comparative gauging is like, okay, we've got a new vehicle. 
Um, we've got a vehicle that we know is bigger than the, the new vehicle. So if that old vehicle, comparative vehicle fits, then our new vehicle should fit. Um, no infrastructure survey is necessary, just a history of safe passage of the comparative vehicle. We don't do this very often. It's, it's quick, it's cheap, it's nasty, it's inaccurate. So I, I never see anyone doing comparative gauging anymore. Um, absolute gauging is what we do most of the time. That's where we compare the vehicle kinematic envelope with the measure position of surrounding infrastructure. Um, and this is the most accurate form of analysis. It's what we all, it's what we use. This is, this is what we do. This is what I do. Um, but there, there's an added complexity. So we talked about kinematic envelopes, but kinematic envelopes are you know, a, a specific vehicle. But um, as you can see in this picture, there's more, you know, some train, some, some loads don't conform to a set shape all the time and that changes and indeed that counts for container wagons too you know uh, box containers not just this junk piled up into a tiny little midland railway wagon um, and as a result of that we need to and this is out of date now because there are new fourth generation gauges that have broken and so they've had to revert back to the third generation gauges but um hot off the press um so we get these, the W gauges. Uh, and so this is a type of analysis that rather than looking at a specific vehicle, it compares a, a generic infrastructure gauge um, that vehicles must fit within with the surrounding infrastructure. So, you know, the, the classic go everywhere gauge in the UK for all trains, theoretically, is W6A. But there are a lot of, there are a lot of bridges, particularly, uh, sorry, there are a lot of features, particularly dodgy platforms and centre girder underbridges that don't provide W6A clearance. And actually, W6A is pretty wide as well. Then you've got W9, W10, and W12. W10 being replaced by W10A, which for the most part is pointless because W10A, basically you have to do W12 work. Uh, W12, annoyingly, W12 is the biggest one, but actually W12 still isn't everything. Uh, and so we're, we need to really probably develop a W12A to do our analysis against. But again, that's another story. Um, these are all different box shapes. So you can see W9 is a bit is, is a bit narrower, kind of offers something, but not everything. W10 a bit, and then W12 has kind of got this this sort of lump shape, which is sort of coming from, actually coming from the W6A uh, roof shape. So theoretically, W12 is the biggest. But as lots of good gauging engineers will tell you, it, the picture is more complicated than that. But we're not going to get into it because, yeah, this incorporates dynamic movements and stuff. And it's used for like freight maintenance vehicles. So fairly straightforward. Um, and indeed, coming up to what we're talking about now, which we've got 17 minutes to talk about, um, is maybe we, maybe we, maybe you need to part two this. Uh, I can expand on it. I can like do an expanded anyway. Well, it's fine. We'll we'll get there. So uh, here is a container train, and indeed, to fit these trains on the railway, you need to make space for them. And the space that you need for them is anything between W9, which is pretty restrictive, up to W12, which is reasonably unrestricted, but not totally unrestricted. Um, and, uh, well, we're going to talk about, so, so here we are. So we, we do that analysis, we, we get the numbers, we get the clearances, and we report those clearances against, so we, we measure those distances we get. We use a, uh, analysis software, either ClearRoot or D-Gage. D-Gage is a little bit of a black box. ClearRoot is a bit more of a proven thing. People moan about ClearRoot because it doesn't give them the answer they like. It's like, yeah, it's not giving you the answer you like because you're trying to squeeze too much out of the infrastructure. Just, ugh, anyway, lowest common denominator engineering that we have been driven towards. This is... Uh, Slightly out of date, actually, but anyway, it's fine. But the numbers aren't. So in terms of how you measure clearances, when you hear, you might, okay, some of you might hear people referring to, would W12A be for S45 swap bodies, perchance, asks Simon. Um, yes, Owen O'Neill, yes, W9 is also wider than W12. Yes, 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 W6A is wider than W12. Um, yes, 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 to all these things, um, you nerds. Uh, yes, uh, I think it's more than that. There are some other combina There are some other wagon container combinations that aren't within W, the original W twelve. Uh, 
Discord server chat is that, but take that to the Discord server. There are many people on there who can answer those detailed questions. But if you've got a normal, so so basically, um, normal clearances, i.e., something that is safe to pass, um, this is at, at hefty old speeds, by the way. Just fifty millimeters of clearance, five centimeters, provides you happy normal clearance, safe, good to go. Um, and in upper sector, that's a hundred millimeters because there's a bit more sway in upper sector, so we we provide a little bit of extra fat. Uh, but things that are infringed, so uh, basically things that are non-standard, reduced, special reduced, and then foul, as in literally that we are planning. And it foul doesn't mean the thing will always hit the other thing. But what? It, but you know, the, the, the process is this is a probabilistic, so it means that you, if you've got foul, there's a very high likelihood that you're a much higher likelihood that your thing is going to pass uh, hit the other thing within the number of times that you expect the thing to hit the other thing within their respective lifetimes. So foul doesn't mean it will hit every time. But also that doesn't mean that people should dismissively go, ah, it's foul, but it's not really foul, as I shall show you in this rest of this presentation. Um, so, uh, oh, the question's coming through. Will is Will Deacon is asking, there have been problems, saying there have been problems with poor freight loading of loose material causing loading gates, clearance issues in development in extreme places. Oh, big time. Yeah, there's all sorts of issues. And, and trains not you know repairs of steam trains not putting the bits back in the right place resulting in scratches to things and all sorts of problems so anyway yeah so reduced is down to 25 mil and special reduced is down to 24 mil uh sorry down to like just positive is special reduced so you know we get quite cozy this changes at platforms there's some slightly different rules at platforms for obvious reasons as discussed in the level boarding episode um, all of this is to generally avoid us building trains like this. This is a classic rubbish lecture last slide, isn't it? And this is the last slide in my gauging lecture that I give to the students. Um, it's just a picture of Britain's smallest standard gauge steam locomotive. It looks ridiculous. Anyway, um, we're going to talk about your terminals gauging because this is a gauging project that happened sufficiently long ago that I feel like I can talk about it. It was also the first project that I um, formally CRE'd on, which is the where, where you are the formal lead designer for a given discipline uh, in my case obviously permanent way um so I, it's something i can talk a lot about it was a project that went very very well thanks to everyone really getting it and working really hard together and that includes fantastic pe the project engineers so basically my opposite number actually he was the dp so not my opposite number but he acted as the the p p and dp these are project engineer and designated project engineer the rules have slightly changed on these designations because um, 02009, which is the standard that defines it all, has changed and updated. But I'm going to quote them anyway because they're the, the terms that people are generally familiar with. Network rail is always changing things, right? Stupid pace. Anyway, York's terminal's gauging. Uh, the the person, the DP and the P, the project engineer and the designated project engineer, they are the people in charge of assurance on the side of the client. So the, they're making sure that I'm, I'm generating the design. They're just making sure that they're happy that the design is compliant and doing everything it should do. Um. So, York's Terminals Gauging. Uh, I'm going to play a corporate... Um, in fact, content warning. This is a video I made. Um, <laughs> this is a video I made to enter a competition. We were like, doing an internal client awards thing. But uh, unfortunately and annoyingly, because you're going to have to listen to my toaster mic, poor quality uh, voice, and also me doing like corporate voice. But... Um, uh, <laughs> But I want, I, it's a useful explanation of the project, so I'm afraid you're going to have to deal with this video playing. So let's do this. I'm, gonna, I'm already like, my chest is already heaving with embarrassment at the next three minutes, but it's only three minutes long. So sit back, enjoy me from many years ago being embarrassing. Every year, over £30 billion worth of goods are transported across the UK by rail. 
With a single train removing as many as 80 lorries from Britain's roads, Ish. rail freight reduces annual HGV journeys by nearly 2 billion kilometres, providing major benefits for the economy, the environment, and the safety of other road users. Bingo. It's very quiet, isn't it? Can't fix it, sorry. For every 35 miles that an HGV hauls one tonne, a train can haul it 100 miles using the same amount of energy. This is despite the fact that certain combinations of wagons and containers are still restricted on key railway corridors. Unblocking or gauge clearing these routes has been shown to rapidly increase rail's market share, and the effects are magnified with the expansion of routes accommodating W12 gauge, enabling the unrestricted movement of the shipping industry's largest containers. Ish. <laughs> the Yorkshire Terminal's gauging project delivered exactly that, providing W12 clearance on the route between Doncaster, Wakefield and Leeds. As part of our initial assessment, Arcadis identified 30 problem sites blocking safe passage of W12 gauge. So what did Arcadis do? Following our initial study and a firm agreement of scope with Network Rail, we undertook a programme of desktop and site surveys to build up a detailed picture of the problem areas. This is what everyone does. That's by engaging key stakeholders such as the gauging engineer and asset managers as early as possible, we were able to reduce the number of sites requiring physical works from 30 down to 3. Hooray. Resolving gauge clearance issues early on and without setting foot on site saved Network Rail £80,000 in survey and outline design fees. This was awarded back to Arcadis to develop the detailed design at the three remaining sites, allowing an earlier delivery than originally anticipated. The original budget for this scheme was around £10 million, with an expected completion date of March 2019. Arcadis have now successfully issued all designs to Network Rail, and construction is due for completion by October 2018. Thanks Hooray. to the efficiencies gained by the Arcadis and Network Rail project team, the current estimate for the total cost of providing W12 clearance is now less than £4 million, representing a 60% saving. By clearing the route five months earlier than expected, Network Rail, the freight operators and the UK can reap the benefits of improved freight connectivity as quickly as possible. That wasn't that fun. Um, <laughs> it was very corporate, but hopefully that all made some sense. Um, yeah, oh crikey. Um, it's not in Rail Natter Orange. Arcadis also do orange. Orange is just a popular, nice color. I like orange, you know, so, yeah. Um, anyway, right, that's enough of that. But no, the key thing in that is, like, it's okay, so the description of, like, the first description with the three circles is, like, that's how all these projects work, as I'm about to explain. The key thing that, that, that I generally do when I... So I was... I did a lot of these projects, and I was damn good at them when I was doing... I haven't done one for a while now, a root gauge project, but the thing I always did was meet the gauging engineer as early as possible and have as many chats with them as you possibly can because no one absolutely definitely vigorously um al always speak to the gauging engineer early um that's, that's my advice uh general the move agrees that orange is super um so that that video was was excruciating but anyway you have to people made it simon i think simon you said you created one of these recently it's always excruciating but anyway um john christoph is saying just be glad all of our huge north american high cube containers aren't allowed to be exported <laughs> well um right so your terminal gauging what is it uh what am i gonna right okay so well first of all yeah first of february 2017 i think we got it a bit earlier than that even i think it was even late 2016 when we but certainly like we were first presented this in 20 in, in february 2017 i i took on the project as as uh, actually, at the time, 
and we were in a different office as well. Uh, so I took it on as assistant CM, so the engineering manager, and basically I basically was also the engineering manager and the, the track theory. It's a little project. Get root gauging schemes are very track-led to start with, so it, it makes sense to be quite small. It was good for me. It gave me some engineering management experience. Um, so uh, let's... Oh, have I closed it? Oh, no, it's here. Good. Right, here, here it is. Here's, here's, um, here's the route. Now, the whole point of this is that it connects up to the, Don the Immingham to Doncaster gauge clearance project. So it comes on and it connects up to the GNG lines uh, here. Uh, in Doncaster, so it comes through Doncaster. Uh, there we are. Uh, you see all the lines. All these dots are things that we surveyed ourselves. So there's a mixture of surveys that we had to do. We had to do like I'll come to that in a minute. Um, and through Donny Station, with with kind of trying to use as many routes as we've got, so the signalers have all the options they can, so they don't have to worry about restrictions. Disappearing off up the East Coast Main Line. So you know we talk about release capacity. This is having to use the East Coast Main Line um, right the way up through until just. Uh, Wakefield, is it Crofton Junction? I can't remember which junction it is, but anyway, it peels off, then goes the back road um, in behind uh, on the, the YGA lines, uh, tucks in behind uh, Wakefield, then goes round the back up on the Castleford lines, uh, then disappears off up round the back into to Sturton. And here we are into Sturton again. You can see where we've been doing our, our manual surveying, and then arrives in Sturton Depot, which is where those W12, you know, big gauging things can appear uh, in here. So that's the, that was the route. Um, there we are, lovely. So, uh, you can see probably a load of, there's probably Easter eggs of what projects I've been working on and have worked on in there, actually. That was, uh, that's not ideal, never mind. Fine, it'd be right. Um, so, February 2017, um, Group 2 started, so we started Group 2. So we did many things, uh, and actually what I'm going to do is open up, uh, where is it? It's here, and I want to move that here, and then I want to double-click on this, because I want to open up. Uh, here is the Grip 2. Uh, I'm just putting it, it's putting it all out there, right? I'm just showing you that I don't think there's anything hidden here. And to be honest, you could FOI this if you wanted to, so I, I don't mind. And it's sufficiently long ago that no one worries. This is the report. This is actually the final report we published, which was in uh, 28th of uh, November. But it's useful to talk through what we actually did. And we'll come back to this in a second. But while I'm on here... Um, Oh, YGA line. Sorry, I'm referring to engineers' line references. Every line uh, in the on the GB Rail network has a three-letter acronym, uh, often broken down with an extra number as well. So, um, for example, the the everyone's favourite is the line are the lines through Nottingham, which are uh, which is knob one. Uh, everyone's fave. Um, the, there's a very if you go into railwaycodes.co.uk, there's a fantastic website that has all of the engineers' line references on it. Very useful re resource. Shout out to those those folks. Anyway, right. So the first thing we do was. Um, in fact, let's this through. So here's here's my nice summary and, and blah 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 and, and blah and, and we a, a key thing in these big reports is say what you think your survey what your survey area is so that someone can catch it and correct you early doors. So this is I, three versions of this report went out. The first version was like super early pass just to make sure everyone was happy that we were agreeing on the route. Again, meet the gauge engineer, speak to them, make sure you've not missed a line off. So the way this worked, so that the uh, this nice thing here explaining what I, what we did so the the assessment was undertaken in four stages this is pretty standard this isn't unique to arcade this is pretty standard for these sorts of routes um so uh, initial assessment using the national gauging database which we talked about already um then uh, the use of kind of gauge clearance surveys to so out to go out and um, and actually sit a piece of a device on the track and measure where we don't have ngd data so for example the ngd the structured gauging train doesn't necessarily run through all of the little back lines and reception lines and things that, that a freight train could ostensibly use um then detailed surveys at sites that have a problem. So if we then, having done all that that early work, we then identify areas that are that are a problem. We go out and do 
detailed surveys at those so we confirm or maybe um, augment or perhaps disprove problems that we found uh, using the national occasion database uh, so we, we get those detailed surveys and then uh, the fourth stage was then doing another refresh of the initial assessment using the National Gaging Database, which allows you to do a bit of a gap analysis of checking if there have been any changes, because things might appear, disappear. If you can see things, if there are obvious big changes, so if you do a bit of a gap analysis, even if things remain, uh, if things are remaining clear, but there's been a big reduction in, t uh, in a time period over that, you know, if you've got two data points, then there's potential that that could become a an issue during the lifetime of the project. So uh, it allows you to get on top of things. Uh, and you see, here we are. Da, 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 da. It's uh, capture. I always ca capture this line. It's almost like a call to arms, saying, "Look, do more of this, and your project will go smoothly." Throughout the project, discussions with the network rail gauging engineer of the nature of the infringements and possible interventions to resolve them have resulted in the removal of possible interventions from the scope of work. This has been documented in blah blah blah. So happy days. So all that good stuff. So that's the start of Grip Two, right? Um, so that's the start of basically Grip Two is sort of uh, feasibility stage. Um, so turn to the 30th of July, 2017, and um, and we're going out and doing surveys. So in on July 2017, actually, we're here at this particular site, um, which is a fave of mine. This is WAG16, uh, WAG being Wakefield and, oh, I don't know, but it doesn't, it's, a, it's an ELR, WAG1, and this is under bridge number six. Um, and here it is. And uh, you might spot where we've positioned the, uh, the Abtus here, the, the root scan, it's adjacent to there's there's a bit of an issue this end oh what might it be um horrible gauge clearance infringement and uh and to refer back to the fact you know i was earlier we were saying oh but you know foul doesn't actually mean foul does it um here is and in fact you can see it i should have put the other picture up there's another one here here are uh some dents uh here dents these are all dents from moving trains uh, and in fact you can see this one here you can see where the the the, the actual uh, sort of bracing plate of this girder is has been struck and and thinned and uh, somewhat deformed by a train smacking it, and down here were lots of uh, on the ballast board here lots of scratched away paint from the bearings the axle boxes of trains scraping paint off. These trains were getting very close. So if you look here, you can see that the the issue here is that this is a straight deck track and the and the railway curves off it like that. And it gets very, very close up at this end. Uh, in fact, so close that you can see there's slightly different sleepers here because they're having to use t short-ended timber sleepers to actually fit the track in against those ballast boards. So um, not ideal. Uh, oh, that's lots of chat, lots of all sorts of chats going on. Uh, right, uh, I'll, I'll leave it. To, yeah, I, I'm losing questions. Don't talk too much about ELRs. There's a whole episode on ELRs, I'm sure. Right, jump forward to the 28th of November, 20, uh, 2017, and that's when we uh, published that Grip Two, the final version of that Grip Two report. Here we are, this lovely Grip Two report. So, I'll flick through. So we talk about our clearance analysis here, our clearance bands, and talk about the National Gauging Database, and and. Yeah, blah, 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 lots of chat. I always like, I like my reports. Okay, people think brevity is wonderful, but I also like, particularly in a report like this, for it to be really, to explain exactly what's going on. It really, not handhold the client, but explain very clearly what's happening. And we we had some risk mitigation where we couldn't get NGD data. So using things like RailView and, and RootView and Google Earth, uh, root extents not in NGD, all sorts of happy days, stuff like this. Uh, the gap, talk a bit about the gap analysis. Also talk about the, the site surveys we did. Uh, some results, so they talk through. Here we are, lots of results, uh, and 
All the results, by the way, are appendices. Never put tables in, other than like little tables like this. Never put data tables in the body of the report. So the summary of each stage, so the top of that, the root sections and the ELRs and there are. So we go through. So we've got SPD five, DUY, DDY, ECM one, uh, DOL one, HBC one, WAG one, CTL, MVN two, and TJC three. Some famous ones in there actually. Uh, uh, Detour is catching up, uh, thinking about interesting data challenges and composite style uh, of data. Hmm. Uh, is it open access? It's only commercial access. Uh, yes. Um, uh, in fact, yeah. No, there's neither. Yeah, no, Will, you're right. Neither access. I think you have to request it as a railway person. You have to have a license to be able to access the MGD. You could probably request it as part of a project though. Uh, Discord server. That's a good question. Anyway, right. So infringement interventions. This is talking about what the issues are. So. Um, interventions without physical work. So, that, for example, the, the IEP depot just got in at Doncaster Car, so they'd done some clearance work. So things that we picked up, they'd actually fixed, so we could catch that. Um, engaging with the gauging engineers, so we um, so things that were showing there's a problem, uh, the gauging engineer said, oh, you know what, this is, this is it's fine uh, for these reasons. Uh, or, or W6A was already foul, and it was something that the route, the, the the DU the, the the maintenance teams actually needed to go out and maintain themselves and manage that risk. So that actually took things away from the the project, the strategic freight network funding, and meant that we could say, well, that that's a maintenance issue. It'll get cleared. But it was outside of our responsibility, and it was something that the gauging engineer could then chase up themselves, which was very useful. Um, and some top up surveys that we talked about. Um, and then on completion of these, we created a whole load of. Actually, I wonder if I've got them at Easy Access. Let's pop them in, pop in here. I wonder. I don't think we do. But I can, yeah, anyway, um, more on what on earth I'm wobbling on about later. So then we talk about what possible things we could do. So there's a bit of a discussion, but those really become, so So as part of this report, um, you'll see we created what we call assessment, these kind of assessment sheets, these A3 sheets that, that generically, I've done past projects where I had hundreds of them. For this, there weren't quite so many. Um, and then we make our recommendations. So if the, we, so we, we looked at 807 features along this route, um, 804 uh, were determined to need no additional intervention, thanks to a mixture of uh, them being clear anyway, but also that discussion with the gauging engineer and, and some generally sensible discussions. So that's when we move from grip two, those three sites, they move into grip three. Uh, and also, if you want to look at some data, everyone, people who like data, this is what uh, this is what the data looks like. So here's here's the confirmation of the route and what the route looks like and confirming what the existing clearance is. So these were all w, or almost all W9 cleared already. Um so uh, right, so that was that uh, infringement list. This is this is a sort of a, a summary with lots of clever Excel stuff going on, showing. And this is sort of this is a report that evolves through the project actually. So, um, the early stage of this report, these were all in black, and we were sort of adding different columns based on different assessments and and so on. This is obviously a sort of a compressed version, but it's um this is the final issue, and which is us saying we've done all the analysis on these ones that became an issue that we picked up as being an issue. You can see the clearance issues that are coming up here. And then we've said, no work is required, no work is required. Actually, I added a little bit of extra fat, so I added an extra 25 millimeters onto the standard numbers so that just to catch anything that was close to being an infringement, um, blah, 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 so on. And also, you can see these red things here. These are areas where the NGD data is very out of date. 2010, 2013, not good enough. The data's been picked up. It's just not been absorbed into the NGD because the NGD team is super under-resourced. You need to, like, triple resource that team, please. Anyway, right, so that's that, lovely. Uh, then the, um, I'm not zooming in too much on it because I, I want to be kind of reasonably coy about some of the clever, and I don't need to work out some of the clever stuff we did, right? So then the initial assessment results. This is the whole, this is everything we're now analyzing. This is the, the full survey of everything. And this is one of my clever automated, these are all my very clever Excel automated sheets, by the way. And they, they take quite a bit of time to run because they've got all sorts of array formula. Although not a macro in sight, not a macro fan. 
if you're if you're writing a macro, you might as well do the program properly. Excel is not designed for programming. Uh, array form, they're fine. Anyway, you can see. Look, look at them all. Look at them all. These things, many things, so many. And you see the different types of survey mechanism here as well. They're picking them all up. Uh, and then the site surveys as well. So these are the things that we then measured manually on site. You can see most things are miles clear, but a couple of things that we pick up and go, oh, that is actually a bit a bit cosy. Uh, in fact, one of the speed boards we picked up, oh, I should have, that was a missed opportunity. One of the speed boards we picked up as foul um, got hit by a train the week after. So foul is a thing, folks. Uh, I think I, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can I find this thing? I know we're running on on time. It's five past, it's fine. Can I find this thing? Uh, I'm never going to find it, am I? There we are. Uh, 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 latest. Uh, I'm never going to find this picture, am I? I'd love to be able to find it because it's a good example of... Oh, there's lots of pictures of this project uh, here and there. That's very nice. Uh, uh, oh, there we are. That'll do. There. Here is us picking it up. And here is the sign with the zero having been whacked off it. Uh, so foul clearances do they do exist? They are a thing. Um, anyway, right. So uh, also here's here's a nice form signing off. So partly I'm doing this because if anyone wants to, if there are people who do this stuff, I'm sharing best practice. This is how we did it. It was very good. This is like a PWI lecture, right? But um, hopefully people are finding it interesting. If you find it boring, shout in the chat now. Uh, so this is the chat with the the gauging engineer, and there it is. Heather signed that one off. Um, uh, and they're named, I don't think the people mind their names going on because this was a long time ago and, you know, uh, Penix F and the clearance, right. So these are the clearance summary sheets. They're a bit, they're scanned in and have been signed, which is why they're so blotchy, but actually these are like, so, so lots of these, so these are pretty standard. So you create them quick so that they can be distributed quickly and people can get an idea and they make quick comparisons of like some of the issues and allow people to model what problems are and blah blah so you can see we've got lots of different ones here so these are the ones that had a problem so we create one of these sheets for each problem and that allowed them to be tabled workshopped understand the risks uh, be able to go okay actually that's not a problem and you can see there's platforms there's there's wag one six here uh there's there's some, some features OLE bit in fact like a atf hook or something i don't know what that is uh all sorts of things. You see all the different issues here, right? Lovely, and that's the end report. That's that's, that's the Grip Two report. So that was twenty. That was the twenty eighth of November. Um, ah, yes. Yeah, so that identified the three features that that needed something physical to happen. We couldn't get rid of them through bureaucracy. We had to get rid of them physically. A thing to be done. That the, it was the project's responsibility. One of them was um, ECM one three twenty structure three twenty four Bobby Bridge Tunnel. One of them was Donny Platform One Doncaster there and. Uh, and WAG16, the A638 Doncaster Road Agbrig, which you can go and look at on Google Earth. Uh, in fact, you can look at both these on Google Earth if you like. Anyway, those are the three structures, the three things that we needed an intervention on. And then we moved into Group 3. Group 3 being um, choosing a single option. So a bit, of, a bit of optioneering and then single option selection. Um, group 3. So, uh, ah, this is where this thing, uh, the, the, the lateral resistance plate, uh, comes into its own. So let's um let's chuck up some group three reports, right? So you can see so so show you a bit of optioneering and show you um show you what those so so first of all let's look at Bobby Bridge, right? The first first thing, let's look at Bobby Bridge. So here's Bobby Bridge Tunnel, here's the options report. Um and there's Phil. Hi Phil. Um so this is a this is a an OLE, this is a, a an overhead line infringement basically. So um I'll I'll there's there's all the gubbins here, love it. And there's bridge arms and see the issues we've got also the challenges we've got so as soon as you do this this is where it becomes interesting because it's cross-discipline immediate problem is that there are um uh 
feet part of the structure the wire heights are less than 4165 which is below standard which is immediately you've got a challenge so anything you do to it that becomes a problem but also potentially an opportunity where you can solve those problems um so uh so here's a picture of the issue and the issue is essentially in fact i'll, I'll show you this scan which shows so there's there's the um, so there's the, looking at where the oily wire is. There's the bridge arm. You can see there's the the arm bolt uh, there, so giving it showing the clearance from the arm bolt to the to the, the pipe and, and also the condition of the of the the downpipe of the stovepipe. Um, and and this is basically an analysis through. So so there are several struct several oily structures all that were causing issues, and some of, and we need to do so. Some of them we could do a cut. Others we had to come up with an, op an alternative option. Um, and so. Uh, so if we go through here, I did optioneering. So this goes through. So this explains. We go through like you know option scoring, and I, I like to do rankings rather than giving a score. I like to do a rank. So so you do the rank, and it comes out with a score. But ranking is much more. It's much more honest because we, we we can't actually score things at one out of you know like ten, up to ten. It's better to just. It's much easier to rank. You know, well that's that option is about the same as or a bit better or a bit worse than. And so ranking's better. So I'll show you what I mean by that in a minute. Uh, so we look at different options. So there's track options of like slews, lifts, so actually moving the track to get around the problem. They're oily only options. So like shortening stovepipes, inverting bridge arms, so actually flipping them on the stovepipe, and then modifications to the to the oily stuff. And then combined options, so a mixture of like track alteration with pipe cuts, uh, lifts to wires, and, and so on and so on. And then generally always include the full compliance option. So to make everything perfect from start to finish and, and consider that because if that if that option is only marginally more expensive then you go for that uh, right so oh that's a good point actually because there's a there's a thing that i need to find that is oh kid where, where did i put it bear with me a second i'm gonna go in here and find donny platform one uh there the justification pack that's the one i wanted so i should have brought this up earlier i'll just i'll, I'll talk about one i'll talk about it in a minute anyway right so Further options, uh, so it's so a preferred option we came up with is the, to invert bridge arms. Um, although it ended up being a little bit of a hybrid at the time. Um, and uh, so basically it's increasing the stovepipe lengths uh, and, and also improving contact lines. So there's, there's all of a sign. There's an option workshop. So we had a workshop. And we go through the appendices. And this is the options comparison tables. This is where you have all the rankings. So ranking each uh, option uh, that we have and discussed against compliance, quality, safety, performance, constructability, deliverability, cost, and complexity. And so you, which ones are worse, which ones are better, which ones are about equal. And that uh, then with a bit of just clever tallying in Excel, that then you can combine those and then give them a, a score out of 10 based on, on the, that ranking. And so that isn't that contrived because pretty much the option that we reckoned would be a good idea ended up being the one that, that those numberings came out with. So we didn't fudge the numbers. That is the option that was recommended, which is actually very useful. So so this process was it, it kind of works quite nicely. Uh, here's that clearance summary sheet in a bit more detail. So um, you can see here this is this is a you can see what the issue is right you've got the you've got our various gauges here and then you can see there's a, a non-compliance minus 37 millimeters there that's a it's not ideal and it's through this structure here and in fact you can see all the all the structures there above that are causing an issue it's actually the it's this line but the issue is to those so the structures on the adjacent track so that was all that was a bit interesting 
there you go, existing clearances and then the summary sheet. So these are the option summary sheets I created to kind of, you can see my sketches and my hand sketchy handwriting here. Um, inspiration for the rail matter style, by the way, because I like doing sketches. So hand sketches, right? Uh, and explaining kind of where the, what track lower might look like and the fact that it's a huge amount of work. So this is going through each option, explaining why it's stupid or why it's a good idea. And so talking about, you know, for example, and saying, look, ballast, ballast retention is an issue. Or um, so kind of talking about what you can achieve compliance, what you don't can achieve compliance. Uh, options here about sort of so you can see here we're flipping the the stove pipe as an option we've got options to cut the bottom of the pipes which is maybe a bit high risk we've got options to lift the whole thing you know obviously that's got implications about clear you know the, the electrical clearance uh to the adjacent structure so lots of issues here that are, that are kind of considered so the different options so these allow comparison between the different options obviously some nice photos to make the case and there we go that so that was Balby bridge optioneering um happy days the, oh, uh, there's that LRP again, right? Uh, so that was one thing. The next structure, we're, the next uh, report we're going to look at is uh, Doncaster P1, right? So here's here's Donny P1, and it's the same sort of story. So uh, except that with platforms, you've got a slightly different battle to fight, right? Um, does full compliance mean that the section of track would be good for all W standards rather than just one? No. So we were clearing it to the to basically everything clearance-wise anyway. That compliance is more talking about are we getting compliant wire heights? Are we getting compliant wire gradients? Are we getting compliant ballast shoulders? Are we getting compliant track alignment? It's kind of all the other stuff because you can't just think narrowly. You've got to think about all the other disciplines. You know, are we you know, oily and track together? So that was oily and track, but then basically it became an oily-only solution, really. So we, we decided moving the track was a dreadful idea going to leave it as an OLED solution. To be honest, that was the point at which I kind of, I was just there as a checker and, and obviously doing the actual analysis of the gauge clearance. But that OLE, Nagajin then took that away and, and led that design and did a brilliant job and it was delivered and everyone was very happy. Um, a bit of civils involved as well because if they're mucking around with the with the, those stovepipes, they need to make sure that they were in the right place. And I think in in one case, there was consideration of if they need, if they if one screwed up and they need to put a new one in, they need to be sure that they could do that. So there's some work going on on, on, on that front. So... Doncaster P1. Doncaster P1 is the one that. So this is the York Way side, and this is the, uh, and this side is the is the Retford side. And so the trains quite often the the LNER stopping trains come into P1, and then they whiz off down that way. Um, so lots of issues here. So in terms of compliance, things that were actually to standard, only twenty five percent had compliant X Ys, only sixty four percent had compliant Coper overhangs. No compliant platform recess for safety if, if someone falls down inside and uh, the, between the train and the platform uh, mostly compl compliant platform width zero tactiles and uh, and only 34 percent compliant cross falls the reason i'm reading these out isn't because i think it's necessarily interesting but it gives you an idea of how complex platforms are how many things have to be right um so there's, there's me talking about the P-Way details and going into details about Pan 11 base plates and all that good stuff. And there's the OLE details. Um, there's some interesting challenges. Again, with contact wire height analysis, we've got structure names at a mid-span. Uh, it's only 4129 with ice and sack, so really non-compliant wire height, so a real challenge. And then we graph, we kind of represented that, we, I think, reasonably successfully graphically here. So you can see there's a, there's a bridge, a plant bridge, ECM 1325, and then uh, the new footbridge. And you can see that the the catenary wire and the, weirdly the survey shows the catenary and contact wire kind of overlapping here but that's just i think they just become one here and then split apart that red line there is the minimum contact wire height so you can see the contact wire is that thick line and it's non-compliant the whole time which is not ideal so challenges 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 so what that means is real challenges for us to do anything about um uh you know, any, any any sort of platform works that we're doing have 
could not lift the platform any higher because if we did that we would be making this situation worse be a worst case uh, kind of for people with the wire buzzing above their head uh, it does feel very close on platform one i have to be honest um buzzing so so we couldn't lift the platform so that's a challenge so that was immediately like right okay that's causing us some headaches I have to think about how that works and again option scoring happy days and we looked at options um uh, different so there are no sort of um yeah basically i said track only options forget that not happening uh there's no point even considering it because this the track is in such a poor state you'd end up it'd just be a remarkable and also it's 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 if you look at this diagram back here it's it's all locked with with s and c in all directions switches and crossings and and, and so that makes it very difficult to slew the tracks there's not much you could do on that front so it's, it'd be a bad idea so this, we looked at civils options so um and it's just looking at what we could and couldn't do so different and we break down these options in a lot of detail because options platform alteration options become very complicated very quickly because you're fiddling and playing and because no one ever wants to just pay for the whole thing to get fixed in one go um there we are so all that stuff we talk about the OLE compliances and, and what we could do about it and how we'd manage to do that and then we look at the different options so here we go here again so our different options just four options the four options you can see these options were all not very there was not a big green in the previous one in this one they're all pretty rubbish and in fact we had two options that were very close to each other so this is much more tenuous. It's much more the option process. This side was much much harder, um, and and so we we look at the existing summary sheet. Here we are, and, and actually I've changed these now. I've got a new version of these that actually show against the whole length of the platform what the compliant what the um, a little graphic here now, for, which which I think works much better. But you know you live and learn, um, and oh yeah, I need to show you why that's relevant. So so then we go into this these different options report. And you can see uh, there's a better photo I'll show you in a minute of the balls, but you can see showing where the problems are. And then these platform alteration sheets showing the different options. And, and, and again, platform alteration sheets. And this is showing, like, here's correct the full length. Uh, lots of work to be done. Uh, and, and, and full length plus track alteration is, like, the full compliance job. And it's just, like, crazy. Oh, there's a, a value there. That's no good, is it? Oops. Uh, there we go. And then there's, there's so and so on. So and so on. Data, data, data. And then some pictures as well and all that good stuff. So that's fine. Um, so... So that's all fine and nice. I'm going to look at this LRP again. Now, what ended up happening with that is we, so we chose an option and actually I created this thing, which ended up, this is a thing which I'm very pleased to say I'm very proud of because it got called industry leading. And you might laugh at how much of an under, underwhelming looking document this ends up being. But this is a document we created to, um, to justify the choice we made um, and understand because we couldn't fix the whole platform. It's just not possible for us to fix the whole platform. So what we ended up doing is is a compromise to, and you'll see why we didn't fix the whole platform because there's a very obvious issue um, that we come that we'll, we'll show you in a minute. But it required us to to look at a risk assessment and understand what the cost implications were of managing the different risks. Uh, and so this is what's called a a an explicit CSM risk assessment, um, and it's basically the conversion of risk of of harm that you could cause into cash, and then justifying the basis of of upgrades or renewals or alterations on that basis so here we are you've seen some of this and we're talking about constraints this is a document that we sent straight to the rssb in order to justify to show our option explain our option and then get a derivation a derogation against the standards for a variety of things so we talk about the options we've got uh, we've done the recess assessment so you see the different things we have to do so this is a much clearer picture showing what the um what the kind of the options are so again it's these options we talked about um, so this is showing we've got some corporate adjustments, some platform resurfacing. There we are. That's what we're doing, and it's saying we're reducing the overall risk to passengers based on on some stuff. And we've costed it up as well, so this gives you an idea of costs for those who might be interested. 
Um, offers less of a reduction of risk, but it is uh, it minimizes the work requirements. 164,000 do to do this work, uh, and we've kind of got an explanation. You can see this bulge here. I've got a better picture in a minute. Then we've got um, riser wall reconstruction work as well to get rid of the non-compliant recesses because we're making those worse. So that's looking at this option. It's like, okay, if we did that, what is that impact? You know, that, that then increases the cost to 530000 So then we go to another option, which is, you can see here, which is for us to renew the drainage as well. So you see these become very fiddly, these things. Uh, CSM is common safety method. It's a, an EU-mandated uh, process, and it's in British law. It's a formal process for, for making, for, for essentially safety case assessment of a before and after state. So whereas CDM, uh, Construction Design Manuals, Manual 2015, I think is the latest version. That looks at risk through the process of construction, and then in the end, and then and then for users and operators, CSM is very much looking at the, the comparison to the before and after state, and what is the, the the residual risk as a result of the work that you do. So the first option was uh, you can see uh, pretty bare minimum, but then this option required more surfacing and also renewal of drainage. So you see here, renewed drainage this is my nice sketch. You see, kind of explaining things because I think a sketch can often be a lot clearer than CAD work. So that's why I've done this as a nice big sketch. It's almost like I've drawn it on a whiteboard, right? Um, uh, what, what's what's the question here? Lifting the platform. Da, 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 yeah, full, yeah. So uh, lifting the platform. Well, it's complicated to say whether we could or couldn't do that, but it's more if you lifted it, you'd be reducing the clearance of the wires even more, which would be bad. So then with this renewed drainage, um, uh, that's another option. Increases the cost a bit, but it resolves. So you can see here, it allows us to resolve the platform crossfalls. So there's a bit of a risk balance here of like one of. So we've got leave these two things non-compliant, fix recesses or fix crossfalls. And it's like, well, okay, how do you make that analysis of what which is going to be safer? And, and that's where kind of the risk analysis comes in in a minute. And then this is the option of of, of achieving full compliance of of all of those things, um, five hundred seventy-five thousand. But this is. So we basically decide, look, like improvements in recess do not offer measurable improvements in safety because the basically the whole recess issue is that it's non-compliant everywhere else. So if you've got a short section of compliant recess, it's meaningless. It's pointless because this the point of the recess is to allow emergency services to actually get through, um, in theory, although I don't know which emergency service worker would want to crawl next to a tray. Anyway, but that's the point of it. So if you can't get through it, it's pointless. So that's where we came up with that analysis. And then this the full renewal option is obviously basically it's not so much about cost it's actually about time we wouldn't get the access to do that work by the limit the time limit that that date that we needed to have delivered the project by um and then the common safety risk method assessment so this is looking at uh, this is an explicit csm risk assessment so basically it's looking at passenger journeys looking at um the fwis the the, the fatalities and weighted injuries passenger journeys so it's looking at how many essentially getting a value of fatalities and weighted injuries at that platform and then putting a cost against it and then coming out with a number for cost. So what I call the theoretical life investment cost of the protected measure end up with this value, this 210,000 value. And then you compare that then against the physical, the, the actual cost of doing the physical intervention. That becomes a useful value. So you can actually compare, right. And it allowed me to then, and also then the, the value for the full compliance, which is a much higher cost than the cost. Of, you know, And it's allowing a comparison of like the, the, the justifiable safety benefits um, over the whole life of, the, of that asset. So that's not a year, that's included, that's multiplying it then by 40 years or 25 years service life of modified infrastructure. This is CSM risk assessment. Um, and and then you can, and then I did a little comparison of the options. So so a little graphic showing there's the do nothing option, corpus only option, corpus and crossfalls, then that what I call the cost benefit threshold. So if you, so that 210,000 figure here, 
uh, and then the and then you see that the copers and recesses and then the copers recess and crossfall figures the, so this basically allows us to go well okay 208,000 actually seems like a sensible just a justified intervention here um there's a as, when it comes to as low as reasonably practical uh, considerations these are above that threshold there we go that's the logic of the process and then uh, there's some analysis of like the michelin man here uh, against this is one of those when you get that question by the way or when people say how much do we consider um women and men equally as part of design this is probably the closest i get to coming into d design factor of like what is uh you know what is male bias and it's because we're using it's the 50 percentile male but i believe that's because men are fatter so that's why we use the 50th percentile male on their side and on their back just for, you know, checking that whether they've, they've got clearance there and, and blah, blah, blah. So that's what that analysis looks like. Anyway, there we go. Was that useful? Was that interesting? Going through that in detail, that could have been really tedious, but hopefully it's kind of uh, relevant and interesting. So, um, right, okay, so grip three. So this this thing, this thing here, right, we're going to come back to that. So on January, 20, January 2018, we went out, so bearing in mind, this started at the start of 2017. So this is a year has passed now. We've moved, we're kind of moving through grip three. This is that hump that I was talking about. You can see this is the gauge. The gauging issue was literally, it was just this patch that was causing the headaches. It's like, well, what, why? Why is, why is on earth is it like that? Why is there a weird hump that's been left in the platform like that? Because there's not a hump in the track. Very weird. Um, and so what we did was we went out that this date, January 2018, and we dug a hole in the platform. And I was absolutely horrified to find out that um, the platform structure, this was just dust under here. This, the, don't be fooled at, at what looks like potentially solid infill. No, this just came out and you could, it was just like, it was like dust. The structural uh, integrity of the platform was being maintained by an arch that was formed of uh, about three inches of tarmacadam and nothing else. <laughs> So this hump must have been from some bizarre washout uh, situation, then caused a hump. The drainage was all smashed to bits in there, and then it washed away, and then, and then, and then it was just left there, and it's been surfaced over time. Oh, very weird. So I, I don't... Very strange situation. I don't know why that was like that, but it was anyway. So all very strange. Um, so... What are we going to do? What? What? So that was that survey. Um, oh, what was it? have I done my? I've not talked about my other survey. Oh yeah, we went out and did my other survey earlier, didn't we? Um, right. So, um, sorry, I'm bouncing between. I'm correcting my slide order again because you know. Oh, why the fiftieth percent of cross section rather than the ninety fifth percent of cross section? Because that's what the standard says. It's accepted that that's the appropriate. Um, that's that's the appropriate uh, check. So we do a check against the ninety ninth for total compliance, but. The standard it has to pass the standard is against the fiftieth. There we go. Um, because everyone's obese in Britain, that means that actually the fiftieth does cover most people. Uh, well, fiftieth percent. Anyway, that's that's why that is a bit weird. I know, right? Anyway, so January twenty eighteen. Uh, what was this? That was fifth of January. Okay, so the end of twenty eighteen. What is happening at the end of twenty eighteen? Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So the end of twenty eighteen is when. Um, where is it? Oh, 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 oh. It's when we're moving, essentially, well, technically it's not grip four because P-Way is a bit weird. But on the January 25th, uh, 31st of January, so end of January 2018, we move into grip four. So this is now we're going into outline and then detailed design. So so grip four and grip five are, are outline and detailed design. The, the lines are a bit blurred. And this is where our uh, lateral resistance plate comes in. So let's open that report. Let's get the old, um, let's get the old form A, B. Uh, actually, you know what? Let's, should we talk about the options at, at, at 
So, so this is why I was waving that lateral resistance plate around. Let's have a look at the options, right, at, at, um, at this bridge here. So you remember the bridge it is that really tight. There's scratching holes in the side of the bridge. So, um, so uh, yeah, here's the site. So there's this sort of lots of essence. Immediately you're worried because there's lots of SNC, lots of switches and crossings, which means that your alignment is locked in place. You, 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 it's difficult to check. If it's just two pairs of tracks, you can... You can play with them a bit. When it's S&C, you can't, particularly when it's old knackered S&C like it was here. Um, so here we go. This is this is the alignment around here. This is a cross-section of the bridge showing kind of roughly what the bridge looked like in, in, in the structural form um, there. And uh, so a bit of detail about the structural form, which is relevant about the structure of those ballast boards since they were getting whacked. Um, there's some stuff about the track alignment. You see me getting carried away talking about all the details of the P-Way and some details about ballast depths, which is relevant because... As a, you know, understanding compliance through the bridge deck, you understand what the ballast steps are, so you don't want to reduce the height of the, you know, you don't want to reduce that if they're already non-compliant, which they very much were actually. Um, ballast shoulders were deficient, which is bad, so that's obviously a bad thing for buckling risk. Condition of S and C, so I went into the details of the, the S and C condition. Uh, some details about the infringement, and then the options ranking. You remember the options. So in terms of the options we looked at, we looked at some so a minor slews associated lift option, major slews, uh, lift only. Uh, recant only, so that's adjusting the height of one rail above the other. This whole area was horribly overcanted. Clearly, it was designed for much higher speeds, and they've dropped the speeds right down to nothing. So that was that's also bad, and was definitely a contributing factor to this um, gauge clearance issue. Uh, track fixity was another option of using like uh, spraying a load of of track bond, like ballast bonding, to sort of hold the track in place and maybe treat the gauging analysis slightly differently. Uh, and then we had some bridge reconstruction options as well of, of a single and and. Uh, deck realignment, so actually altering the alignment of the deck, and then reconstructing one of the spans, and then reconstructing the whole thing as a as a two track U U shape. Uh, so that that all sorts of different options to look at there. So da da da. So there's some consideration of further analysis we needed to do. So that that sort of work that happened in the form A B, uh, but we generally assume that the best option is option one minus lose. Um, and the potential to combine with the track fixity option. And, and this is where those lateral resistance plates that I showed you a picture of, which is, here they are. This is where these come in. These spades, these lateral resistance plates, sit in the track and actually improve the lateral stability of the track. They stop the amount the track slides around. And one of the issues we were having here, which I think I'll show you in the cross sections in a minute. Uh, let's go through. So the options. Good. So you can see there's, there's a more obvious option than, than was the case for Doncaster P1, but less obvious than the early options were. So it's generally that we're going to go for a minor slew. Um, and so you can see this, this is the, the clearance summary. And you can see, look at this, this is, it's getting cozy. Minus 22 millimeters existing clearances to, to and this is to W6. So this is to trains running through there. This was to trains running through there at the time as well. Uh, and you can see this is this is not ideal. This is the shape of, there's the other thing is that there's, it's got this curve shape, which made it additionally complicated to make sure we were capturing the worst case through there. So lots of different things to think about. And, um, no, let me just do this. There we are. And so we looked at the options. Here we are. So we've got some slews here. So this is slewing the track a very little bit with a tiny little change in track alignment just to sort of move the track as much as we possibly could away from the edge of that of that um, part of the track. So making the alignment a bit rubbish, but but basically slightly improving the case, making it as as tight a curve here as we could have with the given speed whilst uh, uh, kind of dealing with the effect there. Then a much larger slews options that involves this S&C unit, which is falling to bits, so we didn't really want to do that. Um, this was an option of, of, of looking at... Um, what option was this? This is the... Where's my option description? Where is it? 
oh lift this is lifting the track and the need for extra ballast so this is lifting the track and this is showing the sort of track lift that we'd need to get clearance and you see it's a lot of lift 125 millimeters of, of lift is a lot of extra ballast and the time would disappear off here and the, and the whole job would run out it would, it would just be a disaster and another option here was um to recant the track so to, to create a cant transition without a geometric transition so that's where the track would go from it being really canted to canted away to canted back again um, the issue we had here was that the track was probably slight because it was so over canted heavy trains going through every time a train went through it was actually pulling the track down the cant towards the bridge which was a real issue and so that's where these lrps came in because if we could stabilize the track so we'll show you in a sec so uh this is an option and it's a bit of an ugly option and, and would have been a maintenance nightmare so let's just not do that and you can see in terms of compliance you see down here really horribly non-compliant mess to do that um, and then the last option was um actually to have a ballast glued section which we decide to get rid of the ballast glued section and just go with lateral resistance plates right the way through. And these lateral resistance plates, these things, would actually then stop the track sliding down the cant, which means that we could um, be more comfortable with going for a degraded clearance. So not having normal clearances, but going with like, you know, maybe 25 or so millimeters of clearance through there. So that's uh, that was the plan. Oh, I've talked a lot there. Did that all make sense? Uh... What was the last survey I did, Matt Reed asks. Good grief. Ages ago. That's why I've only got that's why I've lost my white hat. I'm back to blue hats now, because I haven't done a survey for a really long time. I'm quite expensive to send out on surveys now, you see. Um what thing do I want to bring back up on screen? Well that I just had the option justification for it, didn't I? Let's get rid of that and also get rid of Yeah, that's fine. Oh yeah, and also we had to speak to the structures team to make sure that anything we proposed was okay, because this is a wrought iron structure, quite old. Um, and they needed to make sure that it wasn't going to fall to bits if we, you know, did some tracks loop through it. So, and then you see the pictures showing the issue. You can see how how tight it was and, and, and the issues with gauge clearance. You can see the scratched, the scratched ballast boards there, uh, not ideal. And then you can see me spray paint where I've done me measurements. And actually, we did some trial pits as well to sort of understand what the ballast depths were through there. Uh, and it's ballast board. There's a trial pit. There's a trial hole. Actually, a trial hole, not a pit. A trial hole showing the depth of ballast. Blah blah blah. Lovely. So that's the that was that. Um, and then we published, so that was the option report. Then we got to the Form A. And this is what Form A looks like. Well, it's actually a combined Form AB. Um, it's a big old document because it covers lots of stuff. So all sorts of stuff about where it is, the track alignment as it is now, the condition, conditions. There's lots of stuff we have done already, significant features, the proposed work. So talking about the layout. Here's a nice sort of representation of the existing and proposed. So you can see very minimal change, but just enough to sort of tidy the alignment up a bit and pull the track away just slightly. So you can see that 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 just to, as a bit of a visualization in kind of there to help explain why we're doing what we're doing. Um, discussion of ballast and there's discussion of materials. So there's needing the the C1 and E1 types, the center and end mounted uh, lateral resistance plates. Uh, there we are. Change of maintainability and, and this this is what form A B looks like. This is what form A looks like mostly. It's just all this stuff. Um, that you have to work through when you do a design, the stuff you have to consider. Alternative options. So we discussed the alternative options. We were thinking about ballast gluing, but um. Uh, we decided because there's no ballast shoulder at the point that we need to actually have the material, actually the methodology here would be basically totally ineffective. So there's no point in putting the ballast glue down. Uh, some additional remote monitoring. This is this is frustrating. So I made the request. And in fact, I mentioned this in the rail live episode. This is at the point where I made the request to um, to that company that does those rail map things to say, can we provide a whiz, a whiz gig to actually remote monitor this to check that the track is not sliding down the can? Unfortunately, there was no network rail product approved thing that I could use at the time, so it was rejected. But we, you know, we mentioned it and kind of logged it, and then propping at sleeper ends was considered. But this would be a disaster because the props would be resting against a non-structural element 
and would basically make a right mess of the bridge and it'd be a disaster. Uh, and also you'd pass dynamic loading into the wrought iron bridge deck, which would also be bad. And then we discussed the variations from design standards, so a few things. So we're retaining some uh, some foul clearances here. Um, but this is uh, this is against the, the class 142, um, and so this is against pacers and basically the gauging engineer, because we didn't gauge for a long time. They were like, you know what, that's fine. Uh, it's fine. Those things, those vehicles did pass through there, by the way, quite frequently. But it, given that they were passing through there now and weren't causing an issue, it was considered basically a bit like grandfather rights. That was considered. Um, so then we've got these new subversional transitions, shallow ballast depth, grade to grade changes, gradient changes with an S and C, and can't excess results in negative can deficiencies, which is a bad thing as well. So all those compl- all kind of, uh, and they're based on the standard whether this is an acceptable or kind of whether you can get away with just passing it on or whether you actually have to uh, get particular derogation against the standards for it uh, and then this there's all this sign off there the sign off lovely check organization blah blah blah. A list of the standards that we've used the speed counts very straightforward because there's a tiny little site just showing horribly over canted by the way this is very bad can't don't just, if you're going under 40 if your track speed if your permanent speed restrictions 40 miles an hour or less the chances are you don't need can't so get rid of it if you can and then the, there's the assessment sort of showing that for every single... So when you do a, a detailed design, you have to show every single vehicle's clearances. So all the vehicles that can run there, there we are. There's the IDC certificate, lovely. Everyone had saying, yep, I've attended, done an IDC, lovely. Um, the IDC check, lovely. Is our names? Uh, and the drawing, this is what the drawing looks like. So here's the form AB drawing. Uh, it's a P-Way drawing, look at this. There we are. So there's the nice rails, the track materials going through. Uh, oh, golly, it's going to be a two-hour one, isn't it? Cripes. And then all the gubbins through here, so like high rail profile blending, slews, switch toes, need to cover that with uh, with detection to make sure, so basically make sure we have a signaling handback engineer, uh, cable troughing that was full of concrete that we had to deal with, all the sorts of stuff that you have to deal with in design for what seems like a little, tiny little bridge job, trivial little bridge job. This is not building a huge new high-speed railway, it's just a tiny little alteration, the most minute alteration to track. This is how complicated railway engineering is because there's so many things you have to think about. Um... All sorts of bit buried services that you see in pink there, buried services through the deck. Uh, there are datum plates, actually. So we were talking about datum plates a minute ago. Someone asked, there are datum plates through the bridge, actually. And we need to uh, reset those in line with the proposed track alignment using green blocks. So it's a designed alignment for the track maintainers to maintain the track too. Uh, the PP there refers to the stressing. So actually, because we're changing the the, the radius of the curve here, we need to um, uh, cut out, cut and then re-weld the rails Um Actually, we put in a closure rail anyway, I think, um, because there were some rails that needed removed and reasons. But anyway, basically, to allow the, the track to be um, uh, re-stressed for, for thermal reasons. So you can see unclipping and then unclipping, and then we've got a pull point. So we pull that rail and then re-weld it together. Happy days. Uh, and then running the running the line out through the S&C, but finishing that design, making sure you've got minimal slews, limit of practical slew there by the time you reach the S&C. And then kind of likewise, you're into the S&C, but not much. And there we are. Anyway, that's that's the design. That's what that's what this thing is. The whole It looks like the whole bridge is at the wrong angle for the alignment of the railway. Yeah, that's definitely true. Uh, <clears throat> the, the alignment would have been different here. It's been realigned to improve speeds for trains to go through, but um, obviously that's become a problem. Anyway, so there we go, and then so that's a GA, and then what we have a long, what we call a long section is down here. This is the, this is basically a slice running through the middle of the rails or the middle of the track along the length of the railway line. We call it a longitudinal section because it's just looking at the vertical alignment of the track. And so there we go, you can see where the vertical alignment is, and you can see, there you can see the different track alignment, and it's all pretty all over the place to be honest. But um, but there we go, that's the that's the track alignment with all the different details of the low rail levels, slews, cant, and all that good stuff. There's a cross section showing what we're up to. 
Um, and then the normal gubbins of the key and the, the hazards and, and what all the different things mean and marvellous, there we go. And and some names of, of designers, drawers, there's uh, Greg's name, shout out to Greg Walker. Uh, and uh, and all that good stuff, there we go. Um, so that's what that looks like, that's the Form A, uh, the Form AB drawing. And then there's a design risk assessment which goes through all the risks and understands how we're managing those risks. They come out of the design log, capture all the different risks, different things, problems. And there we go. Oh, my goodness. That is a Form AB. Oh. Um, actually, in this case, because we are fairly resource limited, I did the design drawing for this one. So it's one of mine. So it's, it's weird to be the CRE. And it just meant that we had to have a very rigorous independent checking process to make sure that the, the checker was happy, which in this case, Greg was, which is good. Um, yeah. So normally you have uh, a producer, a checker, a reviewer and an approver. So uh, in this case, I was kind of producing. And then if, as a CRE, theoretically, I was then actually signing the stuff off at the end as well. But um, that for a small site like this we weren't too worried but we brought in a checker to make sure we had an independent check and then obviously then it gets checked by the engineering manager as well who checks they're happy with it oh and so these plates were used uh, which i keep referring to but um anyway right so april 2018 uh, jump forest april 2018 because uh the afc drawing the, the so the, the grip this is grip five now which is the afc um, and you can see here, this is the, it's much more straightforward. So all the, the things that we've altered, so we've there's, there's a level zero assessment was done by the to incorporate existing conditions, da 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 da, da and, and so just checking that this is the, the grip five is like right, this is detailed design. So making sure that what we've proposed is going to work. Any tweaks, you've had the discussion with the people who can actually build it, so make sure that everything they so they're happy with what they receive will be buildable. Um, we've talked about a monitoring regime, so it's also the discussion of the maintainers as well. So we've got the DRM responses, which is, there we are, uh, we don't have to worry about those. Project engineer acceptance and discussions, uh, discussion of what is going to be achieved. Uh, the updated design with some tweaks to based on a few bits and pieces. You can see it's got the nice uh, approved construction AFC stamp there. Um, and then uh, and then the clearance assessments, the engineering compliance certificate to appreciate that it's happy. Uh, and then the DRA as well, just to anything that's being captured and, and is being handed on. So that goes into the health and safety file. Oh, there's the AFC. So that was it. Grip five, delivering Grip five. So that in July 18, the thing went out and got built. And here it is. Here's us out doing our as built survey, actually, on uh, kind of later on in July. Is uh, is Alex looking tanked uh, with the with the there is the the laser sweep. Laser sweep. That's what they call it. The laser sweep. There, Alphabet's laser sweep. Shout out. There's the, the the text laser sweep there. Anyway, so there we are sitting on track. And basically, what we're doing is checking that the work that has happened has actually solved the problem. So it's, we're going out, we're checking that it's worked. Um, and you can see all these nice lateral resistance plates here placed on the sleeper ends. Uh, they're on the ends of the sleeper to make sure there's enough ballast underneath. You can see we've replaced with some new timber sleepers uh, with new base plates. And we, we've done a bit of work here to make sure this, this is all nice and rosy. Um, so uh, there we are. What's that? It seemed like the LRP was propping the track up rather than stapling it down. No. Uh, have we got the cross section again? Let me bring the cross section up. Uh, because I think in the cross the cross section should show it more clearly. Uh, there is clearance. We checked very carefully. We used short spade lengths to make sure that it was definitely clear. Um, and we also yeah, so we use these. So it, it is fine. It's it worked fine. It's fine. Also, the track just make it extra complicated. The track the rails through here were vertical, not horizontal. So we needed to um, replace. So we needed to use pan VNs rather than like pan 11s. So anyway, so there you go. There's the there is the, the thing, and you can see a bit of a before and after. There's the before, and there's the after. Uh, you can see the difference between an Aptus uh, root scan and the laser suite there. The before and after, and you you can see that it's 
very fractionally improved. It's not. It'd be nice if I'd stood in the same place and taken the same shot. These are two different. It's a long lens and a non-long lens. But anyway, you, you can sort of see the work that's gone on here. You can see the nice fresh ballast through here. So then, grip six to eight. Um, grip six to eight is where. And in fact, this is in what is it? That's uh, July thirteenth. So our as built. Uh, well, there's your problem. Fans uh, will um, will know all about as built. But here's the as built. So it's confirm confirmation of the clearance, the before and after. So we gained um, our clearances there, which is nice. Look, we've got lovely. Got managed to get it up to it's slightly better than we expected actually. So we've got some clearance. They ran all the clearances to make sure everything's clear. And there's there's us just doing our scan to prove and see the, the stuff proving that it's clear again. Doing our check. Lovely, happy day. So that's the that's the as built, which go into the file to be forgotten about. Uh, yes. Oh, cheers, Matt. Bye. Uh, so, Grip 6 to 8, completion, AFCs. Um, and in October 2018, the last bit of work was done, uh, which was the last thing they did. They'd, they'd done Bobby Bridge already. I didn't have any good pictures of the fix there, but that got done. Happy days. It was fiddly, but it done. This is the temporary state. So this is where they'd, in one shift, they went in, smashed up that stupid ramp, skateboard ramp on the platform and put this temporary cover in. And then they came back on another shift to make that good, to infill it and to put proper tarmac down. So now if you go to platform one, you can walk along platform one and you can go and have a look at this, uh, this intervention, which you can see is nice and straight. And indeed we gained gauge clearance. And thanks to that work, W12, in, so as of October 2018, W12 trains can come all the way along here uh, into certain depot and get filled with lovely freightliner trains just to get hauled by a blinking diesel class 66 because well there aren't any wires here anyway but also uh because no one's running electric trains at the moment because of because government being completely incompetent and stupid so oh my goodness there we are that was a bit of a, a whistle stop uh there we go that was that oh it's that's been an hour and three quarters i'm sorry that went on long hopefully it was interesting uh, thanks everyone for joining. 90 of you watching a whole presentation about a gauging project. Um, happy to take questions uh, while I do my preamble. But also um, Discord server, chuck questions in there as well, of course. Uh, and uh, yeah, so pop any questions in the chat while I go through the, my postamble. Um, and we will um, we'll end the show. Good grief. Right, so uh, the podcast still isn't fixed. Heel, I know I need to have a call with you. It's just been a very busy couple of weeks. Uh, and so it's it's not been the, at the front of my mind. There have been people complaining about the podcast at me, rightly so. Um, uh, I know I need to fix it. I need to fix it. I, I will. There have been some domain issues and stuff. So it, it will get fixed. We'll be able to listen to it. Sorry, I did a fairly bad job of describing that in audio uh, for the audio-only people, but we'll get there. Um, and yes, so uh, the podcast is still broken. Fix is coming. Uh, Patreon, Discord, PayPal. Patreon.com slash Gareth Dennis, GarethDennis.co.uk slash Discord, and PayPal.me slash Gareth Dennis. Thanks to those of you who've been chucking me pennies on PayPal. Uh, it's been happening recently. It's very nice of you. Um, uh, chucking me some pennies and, and leaving me a very kind note, which is nice. Um, so that's that. Uh, ah, yes. Next Monday. Don't miss. Here is uh, the lovely um, lovely production team. Uh lovely director here uh doing uh, doing some nice uh, prep shots for a a section in the architecture of the railways built that is very close to, very dear to my heart and in a way completely ridiculous because it um i got i managed to get to, I've, I've managed to somehow get tim dunn to spend however many 10 minutes or so of his lovely television program about the ra railway architecture and um, talking about the selby diversion <laughs> so, um which is uh, which is tremendous fun uh, Tim's going to be joining us to talk a little bit about that in a few weeks, by the way. But um, yeah, so not to be missed. That's Monday. That's Monday night. 
uh, go and watch that. And here is a nice here's a nice bridge. One of the reasons for it is not so much the track alignment, although it's obviously very fetching. It's the it's the it's the actual architecture because it was the first time we're building a new railway. And we had to decide how that railway would look. So um, tune in on Monday night. It should be good fun. So, uh, and in, to tie in with that, you know, we've got to have a tie-in episode, right? Uh, so next week's episode is going to be episode 84, which is why isn't High Speed 1 Britain's first high-speed line? It's a very cheeky episode. They're the beautiful, stunning, um, wonderful equal splits at Colton Junction, which I'm sure we'll talk a lot about. And I think there's some footage in the Architecture of the Railways built of me standing on a footbridge, waving around excitedly with them behind me. So um, look, forward to <laughs> look forward to that. Oh, my goodness, right. Let's get my giant face up and let's uh, let's take some questions. Uh, yeah, Selby Diversion actually getting a TV mention. I know, right? Absolutely ridiculous. I don't know how Tim's wonderful. He said some it, he said some lovely things about it and, and mentioned it and said people can get excited about all sorts um, on uh, yeah on on Radio York uh, a couple of days ago, which is very nice. So anyway, right? So uh, there's some questions. David Shepard asks, does your work back then stand up to electrification the entire route or would it need to be repeated? It wouldn't need to be repeated, but the issue is that for the most part, um, we weren't solving electrification clearance there. So we were just bare minimum getting W12 through where we could. So we weren't looking at to clear for electrification. It was just for W12. We had a very tight remit. Um, uh, oh, no stream this week, by the way. Joseph June, there's no, no TF, TPF2 stream this week because I'm so busy and I, I need either a rest or to be working. Um so uh, i'm glad you enjoyed this thanks thanks for the nice words everyone b crossing and uh, lin man Fu. um eric asks will plan track upgrades as part of hs2 hs3 slash npr slash etc also involve gauge adjustments so that captive euro stock run further as well as large cargo stock oh uh mm, i don't know i don't know it would make sense because it, 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 it the, i don't think hs2 is ever going to run european certainly not in the near I don't think they're going to uh, have that. You know, there's the captive stock order for this sort of the European gauge passenger trains. I don't think they'll ever procure those. I think they'll extend the order of the of the classic compatible stock, and I think it would be daft then to not extend that order further for NPR, which means that um, at that point, is there any value in in the additional? You know, there's not much extra benefit. You know, there's not much extra work involved in that extra clearance for the for building a new line. But if they're using existing sections as part of NPR, which I fear they might end up doing in some instances, which they really shouldn't, but they might, then um, that that becomes a quite you know that then be, does become a challenge. I need to stop picking my nose in the in, in camera. Uh, right. Regard James P. Regarding the buffer stops from the news section, did they also convert some kinetic energy into gravitational potential energy? Uh, yeah, but marginally. Uh, what they actually the major they, they ju just a small enough amount to rocket it up towards the station building but not enough to actually you know uh reduce that forward energy it's no, really not a good situation oh anyway oh dude you just caught up as well hi uh detour oh my goodness so that hopefully gives you i mean if nothing else a bit of an insight into my day job because that's the sort of thing i get up to in my day job um hat tip to arcadis who let me Actually, I didn't ask anyone permission to put them up, but I, you know, I, I don't think there's anything that arcades will get upset about in there. Shout out to everyone who's involved, Adam Bell particularly. Adam, you're brilliant as my opposite number and the DP on that project. You, we were, we made an excellent team. It's a really good team. The reason that project worked really well it was a really slick, slick effort. You know, the reduction of the sites, as well as uh, minimising the work and uh, and getting things to happen really quickly. I mean, you saw the, 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 the what were the dates? It was the start of 2017 to to go from grip one which, to the end of grip one which is like scope definition to 
delivery, construction, and sign-off uh, within a year and and you know what is it a year and that was twenty months, wasn't it? No, twenty-two months. So just less than two years is actually a really solid effort, and and it only happened because everyone was we were working as one team. Uh, it, there was no fancy contract that made it happen. It was just a conventional contract, but we were working as one team. Me and Adam particularly just really close, and then really good cross-discipline work as well with, across the board, the project engineers and and the con- constru- contractors, responsible engineers, uh, just absolutely working as one as one team to get this job done, and that's why it worked really well, and that's how things should be. Um, it really is how things should be. So a really good, successful project. Very pleased about that one. Anyway, right, I'm going to leave you all in peace and quiet because it's super late and it's bedtime and I've not had any food and I potentially need to go back to the office to do some work now. It's been a pleasure, everyone. It's been an absolute pleasure. Remember to tune in to The Architecture of the Railways built every Monday, but particularly next Monday uh, on Yesterday TV at 8pm. Uh, tune in, enjoy. But in the meantime, uh, cheerio. <laughs> cheerio, everyone, cheerio. Cheerio.